So the reading this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 19, and it's verses 6 to 9. Revelation 19, 6 to 9, and you'll have the words on the screen. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Well, good morning, everybody. Lovely to be here this morning. Lovely to see you in church. We're continuing this morning thinking in our series of what is the church? What are we as a group of believers brought together by God? And this morning we're thinking about the first one, that we are the bride of Christ. That as the church this morning, in the world, here in Little Shelford, we are the bride of Christ. Before we do anything else, let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads, and let's talk to God. Lord Jesus, if only we could know just really how much you love us, just the depth of your love for us. We pray, God, as we think about this topic this morning, might you just give us more of an insight in what it means for you to love us as your bride. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us, that you would help us to listen, that you would help us to make changes in our lives if we need to. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, when we talk about brides, we normally think about weddings. One of the most important and one of the biggest days of a married couple's life is the day that they got married. But marriage isn't really just about marriage. The goal of marriage is not marriage. The goal of marriage is a big signpost to point us to Jesus, to point us to the ultimate husband, to the ultimate marriage. It's a bit like a parable that on the earth we see marriage, little pictures of men and women coming together in marriage. That's the earthly meaning, but the heavenly meaning is the marriage that there will be in heaven, that Jesus one day will marry his bride, us, his church. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul says that whenever we talk about marriage, we need to think of the big picture. Marriage is a mystery, says Paul, but I'm not talking about man and woman coming together. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. I'm talking about the ultimate marriage. A man and woman being joined together as one for life is the small everyday relationship that we get to experience that points us to Jesus and his church being brought together to join him and permanently being together with him for all eternity. The picture of marriage we get here on earth is temporary, but the marriage that it points us to is a marriage that lasts for eternity. And this should change how we see ourselves as a church. We're not just a group of people who thought it would be a good idea to come here at 11, at 11 o'clock today. We're not just some kind of social club that gathers together. 
We're not people defined by what we do or what we don't do. We're defined by who Jesus says we are, that we are His bride, that we are His most precious people. Over the past couple of weeks, a lot has been said about the feelings of the church. Lots of online articles have been written. Six things your church got wrong about COVID, 10 things to try to grow your church members, 174 reasons your church is failing, 10 tips on dealing with these stereotypical church members. Lots of pens put to paper to complain about the church, to expose all its problems and its failings. I wonder how you feel about church this morning. The people here, their failings and their faults, the program that we run, how COVID has affected that program and the restrictions we still face. How do we compare to that church in, in Cambridge or maybe that church you used to go to? What about that mega church in America? What do we say about church when we could really do with a Sunday morning off? What do our children hear us saying about church? Compare all of that to what Jesus thinks of us. Jesus who knows us far better, who knows our weaknesses, who knows our sins, and yet we are still his most precious people, still his bride. How does his point of view challenge yours? Even in the church's brokenness, Jesus thinks his bride is beautiful. Our reading today that Caroline read from Revelation 19 looks forward to that wedding day at the end of time whenever Jesus comes back to marry his bride, his church. But first, let's have a look at his first coming. It's clear when we read accounts of the life of Jesus in the gospel that he has come to save sinners. But he hasn't just come to save lots of individual sinners here and there, but he's came to, come to save them as a group of people. Peter puts it like this in his first letter. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A very stark before and after picture. Once you were not a people, but now because of what Jesus has done, you are a people. Jesus came to make a people for himself. This is what Paul writes in Titus. So it is clear, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So Jesus doesn't just come to save us as individuals, me or you, but that he might save a people to himself, that they might spend eternity with him. Maybe when you first heard the gospel, you were maybe unintentionally told that the gospel is all about you. It came to save you. It came to forgive you. Jesus died on the cross for you so that you could go to heaven. Jesus loves you. He knows you. He forgives you. And all of that is wonderfully, wonderfully true. But we miss out the description of the church, that there's a whole group of people that Jesus came to save, and there's a whole group of people that Jesus loves. And Jesus' love for me and for you as individuals flows from his love for his bride, for his church. And Jesus actually says that he is the groom. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 15, we read this. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast." In answering a question about his disciples and why they're not fasting, Jesus says, well, why would they fast when the groom is here? Jesus not only foreshadows his death, 
saying when the time comes when the bridegroom will be taken from them, but he also plainly points to the human institution of marriage as a picture of what he is doing and what he will do. So with Jesus identified as a groom, these broken, sinful, not a people, just yet people, his bride, we will see just what Jesus must do to marry these people, what he must endure to unite himself to us, that he must be humiliated, abandoned, mocked, beaten, and be murdered. What a sacrifice. Undeserved, beautiful, astonishing love on display, all for our good because of his love. Jesus is not like a soldier who comes across a helpless woman in the middle of a war zone. He's not like a royal marine who gives orders to rescue a woman locked in a foreign jail. But he's a husband who sees his wife in danger and plunges in to rescue her. The love of his life, his church. The author of Hebrews writes this. He writes about what Jesus endured on the cross. He writes about the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? Was it joy in ending the curse of sin and death? Yes. Was it joy in being perfectly obedient to his Father? Yes. But it was also the joy in rescuing his bride. And remember, his bride includes you and it includes me, but it's also bigger than us. It's the hundreds of people who saw Jesus after he was resurrected. It's the prophets, it's the apostles, it's missionaries in Africa today. It's the first believers who went to churches in Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi. It's the people who will be saved and the people who will plant churches long after we are gone. If this is the love for Jesus, the love of Jesus for his bride, whenever we are at our worst, if the love of Jesus is deeply for you, but also deeply passionate about every Christian that has ever lived, how dare we feel unloving or indifferent towards our church? If Jesus so loved her and enjoyed died for her, we should also be loving and be honoring her. Our Lord and Savior didn't just die to gather us together as a church, but to cleanse us, to make us holy. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, blameless, and blameless, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Not only does the death and resurrection make us a people, it makes us a holy people, a people who he promises to be at work in, cleaning, cleansing, purifying, setting us apart by his word through his spirit. And just for context, that little verse that was up on the screen, Ephesians 5.25, Paul there uses the example of Jesus to be encouraging husbands to love their wives likewise. We've been thinking about the big picture of marriage, that the big picture of marriage is Jesus and his marriage to us, so that marriage gives us a better glimpse of what Jesus did at the cross, but the cross actually gives us a better glimpse at what marriage is and what marriage should be. If you want to know how to love your wife, look at the love Jesus had for his church. If you want to know what the purpose of your marriage is, look to the purpose in Jesus, that he came to make his bride holy. In your marriage, that means for you both to get to the end of your lives holier, more passionate for Jesus and his kingdom, more devoted to him 
now than you were before you said your voice. And this is one way in which we love our church, by loving our brides. The best thing you can be doing for this church, husbands, is loving your wife as Jesus has loved his church. Wives, the best thing you can be doing for your husbands and the best thing you can be doing for this church is loving your husbands as Christ has loved you. Giving up your lives for each other and working to make each other holy. And then all of a sudden we have all these little pictures of Christ's love in display in our church. And if husbands and wives can love each other like Christ has loved them, then parents and kids can love each other as Christ has loved them. Then we can love our neighbors as Christ loves us. And then we can love each other. And then we have a church that is full of the love of Christ. As a church, we are the bride of Christ, gathered by him, being perfected by him. And one day we will be united with him for all eternity. Again, if Jesus is patient and forbearing in his relationship with his bride, always ready with grace, for when we make mistakes, offering free and flowing forgiveness whenever we sin. Shouldn't we have the same forgiveness and grace for each other? As members of the same boot, as a collection of not yet holy, but someday holy people, with none of us able to throw rocks because we're not without sin, shouldn't we have the same love for each other as our glorious husband has for each and every one of us? Let us quickly get to the passage that uh, was read out the passage from Revelation. Now, sometimes we approach Revelation maybe with a little bit of confusion, or maybe you get a little bit scared whenever we say that we're going to come to Revelation. It's a kind of pretty daunting book. But Revelation is written that we might have hope, that we might know that this story has a happy ending, that our relationship, our marriage to Christ has a happy ending. And Revelation 19, 78 gives us that hope. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Actually, the proper way to read that is to shout it as it one day will be shouted in heaven. Shouted as if rushing waters, as if thunder is clapping. The wedding day of the Lamb has come, praise to the Lord Almighty. What an encouragement that is to us to know that as the bride of Christ today, as we live in this world that's groaning in sin, as we struggle with our own sin that so easily entangles us, that there is a day coming that we will be united to Christ forever, presented holy and blameless, made holy by Him once and for all, for all eternity united to him. Church, this morning, Jesus sees you as his bride. How do you see yourself? How do you see the person sitting in the pew beside you? If Jesus, the Holy Lamb of God, God eternal, was willing to sacrifice himself to save his bride, shouldn't we be willing to sacrifice our own personal preferences for the sake of the other Christians around us? In what service we go to, and what we put up happening in a church service, whether it means getting up early, whether it means trying to get the kids out the door five minutes earlier. If Jesus was willing to give his life to make his bride holy, shouldn't that be our aim in our marriages, in our families, and in our church? Shouldn't we be willing to ask the hard questions of each other? 
be willing to hold each other accountable to levels of holiness, to be pursuing holiness ourselves, to be bearing one another's burdens and pointing each other to Christ. This morning, we are the bride of Christ, who He loves, who He gave His life for, and one day we will be united with Him in eternity forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. We praise you as the ultimate husband, the one who shows us never-ending, never-ceasing, never-giving-up love. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that each and every one of us has been rescued by you, that you went after us, that you plunged into danger to rescue us, your most precious possession. We pray this week, Lord, as we think about ourselves, as we think about our church, as we think about the other Christians around us, Would you just give us a greater sense of what you think of them, what you feel for them, and the love that you have for us as a group? Might we be pursuing each other in holiness and in love until the day you come? For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.